Well, good to see you all this morning. Uh, we're in a series in the book of 1 John. We're going to be continuing in chapter 2 this morning. And with the title of our message this morning is, Who Do You Look Like? Who do you look like? And I was thinking about that question for myself so often growing up. My, I would often hear somebody say, oh, you look just like your dad. Who is it, who is it for you? For me, it was my dad. I have a picture there on the, the screen of, of my dad and my mom in a second there. Uh, my, my dad there, uh, I guess maybe the, the chubby cheeks, the nose structure, the, the, the stunning good looks. But what, what bugs me... What bugs me is at 72, the amount of hair that he still has, and I'm lacking, so I'm still working through bitterness. So you wouldn't say exactly alike, but there's definitely some family resemblance. Who is it for you? Is it a, is it a brother or sister you look like, a mom or dad, uncle or aunt? Who is it for you that you look like? In a spiritual sense, the reason I bring that question up is because for us as Christ followers, we're supposed to be growing in our resemblance to him. That over time we start taking on his characteristics. We start to look a little bit more, maybe not an exact match, but a growing resemblance. There's specific marks of a Christ follower that you're like, oh yeah, he's definitely somebody that spent time with Christ. I love that when they talked about the disciples, they're like, oh, we, they, they took note that they had spent time with Jesus. Similar for us, that really why it's important, why, why we should have marks of being a Christ follower is really to determine or confirm that you're in the family. Because really a thousand years from now, if you can, if you can kind of pl play that out in your mind, a thousand years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you're in the family. Whether or not you've embraced Jesus Christ, whether or not you've had your sins forgiven, whether or not the relationship with God has been restored, that's the only thing that's going to matter. And this morning our text points to some specific marks that point to whether or not you're in the family. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word that you don't leave us having to guess on questions like this. You point to some very specific things in your word that identify us with you. I pray that you'd speak through your word this morning, that I'd be small, you'd be great, that you'd allow any distraction to be put by the wayside, that our hearts would be softened, that we'd actually have ears to hear, that this message might not be for the person down the row from us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, this question, of, as we talk about it, our text, as I mentioned, points to some distinct things that are, are character, character traits or marks, if you will, of somebody that's in Christ. But you can't, as you know, if you're somebody that studies God's word, you can't isolate and just get, look at one passage and be like, oh, but what about uh, other, other aspects to this? One important thing that I want to just mention before we dive in as it relates to marks of a Christ follower, you can't address that topic without talking about belief in Jesus Christ. It all starts with belief is kind of our first section here. And in the book of 1 John, that's a running theme throughout, just pointing us back to, hey, it starts with, it has to start with belief in Christ. It has to start in belief in Christ. In fact, it's peppered throughout. 1 John 4.15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, 
God abides in him, and he in God. In 1 John 5, 1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 1 John 5, 13, just a few verses later, says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, a, a running theme throughout the book of 1 John and the New Testament is that it starts with belief. That's a foundation. And so it's critical that we understand that belief in Christ has to be the foundation. In, in uh, chapter 2, we're going to see why that's critical. Take a look with me. We're in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be working through the 14 verses there this morning. But it starts with this. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, big word, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Let's hit the brakes there for a second and just talk about that. You notice a couple of things. First, uh, who he's addressing here in this text, he describes them as little children. At first you read that and you're like, wait a second, who are you calling little children? It's not meant to be a slam. In fact, it's meant as more of a term of endearment, like tender ones or ones I care about, showing that it's some in the audience or people that he was really close with. What does it say that the reason that it's written? It says that it's written so that you don't, what? That you don't sin. That seems to be a reoccurring theme in Scripture, a kind of a, a running dialogue, if you will. If you ask my, my dad what a sermon was about, we mentioned him already, the running joke is I'm like, oh, what was the message about? He said, sin and not to do it. I'm like, that's any message he hears, that's his summary of the, of the message in, uh, in church. And really, the, the running idea in this that we're pointing to, that's the work that Christ wants to do in us. That's what he's, that he's working that out in us. And we'll talk more about that as we progress here. But what it says in the text, which gives some degree of encouragement, says, but if anyone does sin, anybody else in that category? Anybody else fall in that? Yeah, I definitely fall in that category. Basically pointing that there's a strong possibility that this will happen. In other words, when you do sin, what does it say? You have an advocate. An advocate. Why is an advocate important in this scenario? Let me explain a little bit. I've noticed in our culture we're pretty obsessed with courtroom scenarios, whether it's on the television or the big screen. We love a courtroom. I, I remember some years back, if you remember the, the dialogue in the, uh, in the movie where Tom Cruise pushes Jack Nicholson into the corner, and you remember the, the, the intense moment where Jack Nicholson goes with the famous line, you can't handle the truth, right? It was an intense scene. The courtroom, there's something that we're drawn to, whether it's a television show, movies, or even you turn on the evening news, how often I was in the gym the other day and like it was like an hour just with this frozen screen waiting to see the outcome of this court case. And you're like, man, we're, we're just captivated to see what the penalties are. There's something that we're drawn to that. But if we're honest, there's nothing that compares to the cosmic courtroom 
that's going to happen someday. It dwarfs all other courtroom scenarios by far. And in this courtroom, God the Father is judge, Satan is the accuser, and everyone who ever lived is on trial. Everyone who ever lived is on trial. This poses three problems, I would say, this morning for each one of us if we're honest about this courtroom scenario. It proposes, proposes a few issues. The first issue is that we're dealing with a just God. We love the idea of Jesus as a loving God with a light blue sash, you know, and the uh, warm Jesus is a homeboy t-shirts we see. And, and we love that idea, but the j- idea of a just and perfect and holy God is a little bit something we're a little less comfortable with. But that's the truth about our God. He hates sin and he's wrathful against it. If you've forgotten that, maybe you should flip your your Bible back to the Old Testament a little bit and read it. Maybe ask a a Philistine, oh, wait a second, there aren't any left. Whether or not he's he's wrathful against sin, even the Israelites can attest to this as well. He's a just God. And not only a just God, if you think about it, he's a judge who sees everything and forgets nothing. Nothing. That's crazy to think about. Sees everything and forgets nothing. Do you see why that's a predicament for the, human, for the humankind? Why this is a big deal? Because the next point that I point to is because we're guilty. It's peppered all over Scripture. You see it everywhere from Romans 3.23 that we can all repeat together. For all have and fall short. That's right, we, we, we all fall short. We're all in that same predicament. It's all over. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous. No, not even one. James 2.10, if there's somebody here that thinks, But I've followed most of the commandments. I've, I've done pretty well. What do we do with James 2.10 that says, For whoever, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. Wait a second. Wait a second. I'm I'm accountable for the whole thing and there's a perfect just God that sees everything and forgets nothing. Like, oh man, this is bad news. This this court scene is looking kind of grim. And the other thing that's bad news is sin demands a consequence. Romans 6:23 reminds us for the wages of sin is death. And if you want to see that played out, you flip over to the book of Revelations, Revelations 20, 15. For anyone that's not in Christ, it says, if anyone's name is, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Conversation about eternal punishment and hell is a sobering reality, but it's part of the truth of our existence. So when we wonder... Why there's the mention of an advocate, you're like, oh man, I'm glad there's one more person in that courtroom, if you will. One more person in that scene, in that, in that cosmic uh, courtroom scene. The advocate, the word there is really the same one that where we derive the idea of a defense attorney. And if you had that much at stake, you'd probably want to have the very best one possible. But he's an unusual defense attorney. In that this, he's completely honest. 
completely honest. Sorry, that's not intended to be a slam for any defense attorney that's honest. But here it's unusual because he's completely honest. You imagine in uh, today's courtrooms if the defense attorney came uh, came up and said, I'm sorry, my client is completely guilty. That's what our defense attorney does. That's what our advocate does. Isn't that crazy to think about? Picture, picture Johnny Cochran walking in in a smooth suit and being like, sorry, he's guilty as charged. That's where Jesus Christ is not maybe the, the best advocate, but here the word propitiation that we see there is the important piece because that's the other part where he's the unusual defense attorney because he, t- he makes this statement on our behalf. He says he is guilty but I will take his place. But I will take his place. That's an amazing defense attorney. That's an amazing reality. All of a sudden you're like, that's why belief in the advocate is critical. That's why belief in your advocate is critical. If you don't have that, you're standing there guilty as charged before the God that sees all and forgets nothing. It's a crazy reality. So that's why it has to start with faith. And the good news is, is that the father, the judge, accepts this payment, this sacrifice, this atoning sacrifice as payment for your sins. And not just your sins. This is an open invite. What does the text say? This is for the whole world. Anybody that embraces him through belief, they have the potential for forgiveness of sins. It's great news. And my question for us in a room this size, you have to ask the question, have you embraced that free gift? If not, man, I'll tell you what, I would not take a chance and go to court by yourself because the truth is, the, tr- the truth is we're all desperate for it. We all need it. We need him as the advocate. But here's where our, our text is maybe in the face. A lot of you, you are like, yeah, I've heard that so many times. That's the gospel message in a summary. And, but, but here's where our, our, our text really pushes us a little bit on this understanding of how the gospel works. Because just because you can grab the free gift doesn't mean you can run with it and forget about where it came from. A lot of people have this perception of it being, all right, I'll, I'll take the gift. I got it. We stick it in the pocket and then go back to the norm. My wife and I, for our 10-year anniversary, we actually did it in year 12, uh, went to Hawaii on a little getaway. It was so fun. My, my dad had a timeshare. He was willing to share with us. And so we saved up for plane tickets, went to Hawaii. It was fantastic. We were on the island of, of Maui. But I don't know if you've done this before, if you've been there. You get there and you realize Everything there is very expensive. We're like, all right, we saved enough to get the flight. We saved enough to, to, to get the lodging or else my folks actually help with that. Then you get there and you're like, oh, crud, like everything, like a, a fish tacos, like 12 bucks. You know, you're like, everything's, everything's brutal. And, and so, so we're trying while we're there because this was back uh, when we were even more poor. And uh, we, 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 we were there and we're like, all right, what's some creative ways that we can manage this? So we see an advertisement for sitting through a timeshare presentation. And it's true confessions. Anybody else done this before? You sit through the timeshare presentation and guess what you get? You get a free luau. 
We're like, all right, well, the luau's are kind of expensive. So we, we sit through this. We sit down with this lady with this high-pressure scenario, and we're like, we're not budging. We had no intention of, of, of further relationships with the Maui Schooner Resort. Uh, we were digging in our heels. Like, this was just strictly with the end prize in mind, the luau. The luau. And so we, we dug in our heels. We, we didn't buy a thing. We walked out of there with our certificate to the luau, which was kind of dumpy when we went to it. But, uh, uh, but, but we were, it was so exciting. We got something for nothing. We had a ticket to the luau. We had a ticket to the luau. And the reason I tell that story, and you're like, maybe this is a stretch, but I would propose that a lot of people see coming to Christ from that same perspective. Like, I got the ticket for the luau. Now I want nothing to do with the Maui schooner. You know, I'm back to the norm. A lot of people are like, yes, I've got the ticket to the luau. And now I can go exactly back to my own routines. Well, here in our text, it's important because he's saying that's not how it works. There's some changes that occur. There's a, there's a, a difference. The, 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 you, you start looking a little bit different. There's an idea in here that it's not just believing. Someone that's truly saved is also abiding. Look at the verse that we looked at just a few moments ago. 1 John 4, 15. That this text there says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. That's, that, that's how it works. I'm not the one that defined this. He's saying if you've actually truly embraced him as, uh, as your savior, there's an abiding element to it. Let's take a look at how that, that plays out in verse 3. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's a powerful section of scripture that I am afraid so many people miss. So many people miss that reality. The big idea here is that relationship is authenticated by our obedience. Do you get that? Relationship is authenticated by our obedience. If we know him, we'll keep his commandments. That's what it says in the text. He's saying that there's an inseparable link because when you're in ongoing fellowship, there's, there's clues that point to his work, transforming work in your life. You can't be in ongoing fellowship with Almighty God and not start to look a little bit different. Like this quote by David Platt, he says, Assurance of salvation is not based on your performance for Christ, but on his performance in you. Does that make sense? Understand what I'm saying by that? It's not saying that, oh, that means Scott's just up there teaching a works-based deal. That's exactly the opposite. It's, exactly, it's not you trying to work harder at this. It's just saying one of the marks in you that points to his abiding presence in your life is obedience. 
Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? It, it points that there's a new driver at work in your life. I've, uh, I've uh, gotten a few chuckles out of this series of this ad campaign that's out right now. Maybe you've seen it. I think it's maybe by Ford or uh, Camaro or one of those silly cars. Uh, but, but the idea, the idea was uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., have you seen this? going in to test drive cars and pretending like he's just an average Joe. Have you seen these commercials? And he starts driving the car and the salesman's there in the, in the passenger seat. And at first he's driving all calm. Then he starts ripping around turns, doing 360s, going down, uh, doing jumps. And they have this whole thing mapped out. Am I the only one that's have seen this? And, uh, and, 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 so, and so this you start to watch this commercial and you're like, the, the, the guy's panicking. He's freaked out and so fun at the end to see like, oh, that's it. It, it wasn't just a normal driver. It, it was a race car driver. And I was thinking about this and maybe, maybe it makes sense only in my mind, which is very possible. Uh, but here, if you think about it from this perspective in God, in a spiritual sense, if he's driving the car, it's going to start to look very different. You're going to take some turns you probably wouldn't have taken before. You're going to hit the brakes probably, some areas that you would have just accelerated. There would have been some spins. There's a, a lot of adventure in it. There's a lot of things that you have no idea how you ended up in this tailspin. But you, the truth is, it looks different because there's a different driver. That's what the text is pointing at. That's the way at least my mind captures it. That, that he's saying, listen, there's, I'm not talking about holy perfection, one author says, but talking about holy direction. It's not saying that you have to be perfect, but all of a sudden the direction that the general direction that your life is headed has changed. We can't make up our own truth about this. God explains how it works, and he calls our idea of saying that we abide in him but don't keep his commandments. What does he say? You're a liar. And I love that he's like, he double whammies. He's like, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. How do you, like, that's, a, that, that's really for emphasis, making the, the point that it doesn't work like that. If, you, if, you're, if you're honest with yourselves, the whole idea of a mark of being in Christ, of abiding in Christ, what does it say at the end, verse 6? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we're honest with ourselves, we like the idea of Jesus as a character, we see his, his, his noble acts, we see the way he uh, selflessly served, the way he met needs of others, the way he lived simply, the way he boldly confronted uh, the, the false religion. All of these characteristics about Christ were like, man, those are awesome. I'm so glad he did them. But if we're, if, if we're going to really get down to the root of it, do we really like him as a role model to actually follow to do those things, to become more like him. That's what this is saying. That's what the text is saying. You start to walk like he walks. You start to take on his characteristics. You start to look more and more like him. Is that happening in our life? I want to pick on Chris for a second. I'm going to invite him to come up here for a moment. He doesn't really know what I'm about to do right now. I just said, hey, will you be my illustration? And he said, yes. I'm going to just have you stand up here and just look good, which is hard for you not to do. And, uh, and so, so Chris is our, our junior high pastor. And if I were to say 
that I wanted to be more Chris-like, get it? Chris, uh, more Chris-like, <laughs> there would be a lot of things I would need to work on, starting with Rogaine. No, but if you think, if you think about it, if I wanted to be more Chris-like, there would be some things that I would start to do. I'd say, you know, I'd want to spend more time with Chris. We'd want to hang out. We'd want to, we'd want to talk a bunch. We, I'd want to hear what he has to say. I would want to make sure that I read the book that was written about Chris. There's lots of them, right? Mm, yeah, yeah I, I would want to make sure I, I found a copy of that. I'd read about it for sure. We would talk. I would start to gradually pick up your characteristics, your swag, your cool shoes, your, your buffness, all that stuff. All, all that stuff. Thanks, Chris, very much. The, uh, all of those things. I want to propose that sometimes we make the whole act like Christ thing a little more complicated than it is. Isn't it more about, hey, spend time with him, talk to him, share what's going on, listen to him. Did you know that God sometimes speaks to us? Isn't that crazy news? Sometimes he even says, hey, Scott, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. Like, hey, Scott, this is going to be an awesome opportunity to, to demonstrate you. This is like, like I listen to his voice. I, I'd talk with him. I, I'd definitely read the, the book about him. I'd really want to get to know his characteristics. Those gospels, I'd be in those because that's about him. This is what it's talking about. This is what it's describing when it says, when it describes the, the, the calling that we have on our, on our life, that whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. you got to start walking with him if you're going to be able to abide him, abide in him. This is what we're called to, to walk in the same way. And the truth is the world is watching to see how we're doing with this, aren't they? You notice that? They want to see, like, hey, is this, is this the real deal? Is he just talking about her? Is he actually just walking in that way? I had this quote passed on to me from Stephanie this week by Gandhi a little convicting, he said this. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I was like, ah, oh, that's bad news. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Shouldn't be that way. If we have marks of being a true follower, we start to walk the way he walks. Even more specifically, our belief is evident by our love. Let's look at verse 7. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Kind of confusing. That I am writing to you, and here's the key, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's a lot there. Let's, let's unpack that a bit. The first thing that he points to in the section is saying it's an old commandment. In other words, this idea of loving others, loving God, loving others. This isn't new in the New Testament. He's like, this is old, this is old news. This is something, what does he say? Words that you have heard. This isn't a new thing. 
But the thing that's changed is now it's not just talked about it. It's now evident. What does it say in verse 8? It says it's true in him. Now, in Jesus Christ, we've actually seen what it looks like. We've actually seen it modeled. We've seen it lived out. It's no longer just talked about. It's actually seen. And look at what it says there. And now it's also alive in you. Alive in you. Now us, we're now carriers of this. When Christ is abiding in us, you can't help but have it. Jesus Christ and his love start to radiate, great word, out of you. It starts to flow out of you. You're like, where did that come from? That, that didn't used to be there. We were in our life group this last week and we're talking to one of the ladies there and she was sharing about a, a phone conversation she had where she was disputing a charge. Have you ever been in one of these phone conversations? They don't always go well, I must confess. And her, she was telling it and she's kind of sharing and she's like, yeah, it got a little bit heated with the person on the phone and kind of arguing back and forth. And, and she's like, to be real honest, it didn't really end very well. And they hung up. She said, after the phone call, she's like, but that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am anymore. Now that Christ is living inside of me, she picks up the phone, calls the person back, apologizes and says, listen, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. Listen, and the, the woman's like, oh, I'm sorry too. I'm having a rough week. It ends up being like a kumbaya moment on the phone because something's changed in her. All of a sudden, there's a, there's, a, there's a love that can't be explained. There's a Holy Spirit has set up camp, and it starts to transform you. And what does it say in the text? That the darkness is passing away. It's gradually, you're like, yeah, that, that's, that's the old me. That's the old me. That, that, that's fading. It's, it's maybe not perfect yet, but it's a whole lot less than it used to be. That's God's design in our life. There's a transformation that's expected. And here in the second part of this section is the litmus test that I would say is probably one of the most convicting in this whole passage. What does he point to as the litmus test for whether or not love is, is, is radiating out of us? What does he say? He asks the question. He asks the question, is anybody say that they're, they're abiding in me but not forgiving his brother? hating his brother, holding a grudge against his brother. In this, in this context, brother isn't referring to like relationally brother, but any, it's, a, it's a broader term there, talking about anyone, a, a brother or sister in Christ, a brother outside of the family of God. What he's saying basically is you can't make the claim that you're abiding in Christ, that you guys are in fellowship, you're walking in the light, and then be okay with holding grudges against fellow human beings. It doesn't work that way. It's not allowed. It, it, it's saying it, it can't work. He says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Again, in verse 11, reiterates it. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going. I would propose this is one of the things that cripples so many believers from actually really walking and living in the light is grudges, holding on to junk, stuff they haven't let go. And it's interesting that it says in the text here, because I think it's so true in the life of a believer, that we can be blinded to it, right? 
kind of sees it's kind of sneaking up on us. Before you know it, you're like, yeah, we really never dealt with that. And, you know, and I'm just not talking to her anymore. I'm just, you know, I've cut them off. And we start to give ourselves permission to allow ourselves to hold on to stuff. What does it say in the text? He's saying, listen, a mark of somebody that is in Christ doesn't look like that anymore. It doesn't work that way. This is a tough topic, but it's what the text says. It's not me here making this up. It says that it needs to be brought into the light. Maybe for some of us, this is exactly what we needed to hear this morning. This is actually, you're like, oh, you can kind of throw the rest of on the side. Maybe this is exactly what we needed to hear. In fact, I felt convicted in my prep time this week. I'm like, you know what? I know I normally pray at the end of the sermon. I wanted to hit a pause button and just pray for us in this area for a second now. Is that fair? All right, let me pray for us. God, I just pray for us in this area. I just know, I'm confident of it, that in this space, in this room, there's people that haven't let go of stuff, that are holding on to unforgiveness. You've called us to release that, to let it go into the light, to forgive as you have forgiven us. God, I pray that you do a work in this room, in our hearts, so that we can walk in the light we recognize we're only capable with that, of that through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue with the last section there. And this is the last. We'll wrap up with this, verses 12 through 14. The idea that belief will mature you. It says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. There's a lot in that section there, but really it's supposed to be a couple verses of encouragement. What he's pointing to is this idea of if something's alive, there's going to be growth. Something that we see even in the natural world, you think about with a plant, you see it, look down and you see if it's not growing anymore, you're just like, ah, that thing must be dying. It must be, um, it's not going to make it. We, we did, as we've done this renovation, we put in a bunch of new plants and over by that, that bell over there, uh, we, we dug it out and put some new plants over there. There's one in the corner for the last month. I've been watching carefully because this thing was pathetic. You know, like it was like uh, so many times I walk over and I give it some new water. I refresh and I kind of check in on it. I'm like coddling this plant. I'm like, come on. And, uh, and, and yesterday, last night, I was walking over here to put the PowerPoint in. I was walking over here. I looked down. I think it was done. Like, there is no life in it. I, I pulled it out. I'm like, you're going in the trash, you dumb plant. We're going to replace you later. And, uh, and, and so really, the, I know I get kind of violent with plant stuff. Um, I'm coming into the light. Um, so, but here, my point being there, and you're like, why are you talking about plants? The point being is that when something is alive, growth is expected. There's a maturation that's supposed to happen in the life of a believer. There's supposed to be a process where you're like, okay, I was here, then I was here, and now I'm here. And I'm not here yet, but I'm not there either. There's a progression that we're meant to be on, a maturation process that is a mark of somebody 
that's in Christ. In other words, you can't say that similar to these others, you can't say that you're in Christ and be like, you know what? I haven't changed a bit. I'm still the same person I was 20 years ago. Then you're like, ah, you need to ask some tough questions about yourself. Because somebody that's in Christ, as we see in the text here, is changing, is transforming, is looking different than they used to. They start to take on some new characteristics. Basically, he points into three sections you see there. Starts in verse 12, the first statement there, little children is the same one he used at the beginning of the text. And that's a general statement of all believers. It's encouraging your sins are forgiven. It's an awesome statement. Then in verse 13 and 14, he basically points to three different groups of people. Children, young men, and fathers. And they identify some characteristics of, of each of those. The first one, and children, the, the word used there is patii, which means young children, someone that's under parental instruction. And what does it say? It just has one simple descriptor of that person. It's in verse 13. It says, you know the father. You know the father. Basically, this is a, a childlike faith. It's fun to be around that person because they're like, hey, I don't know much of anything, but I know the Father. Yeah, if you've been around a young Christian, you're like, they're just encouraging to be around. They're like, I don't have any of the answers to any of your theological questions. I know nothing, uh, but I know the Father. I know the Father. It's, it's fun to be around that person with a simple faith, and it's encouraging to come along and try to build that person up and speak truth into their lives and see them progress in their walk. But here's the problem, is if you stay like that, it's a dangerous place. It's very, it leaves you very susceptible. It leaves you uh, easy to, to, what does the, the parable say? Like, you're, there's no roots there. Sun dries you up. The seeds get taken, you know? Like, a, it, it's a vulnerable spot. We weren't designed to stay as infants. That's the first thing that he points to. Next section in verse 13 and 14, it points to another grouping, young men. This is the progression forward. A young man, and it says three things about a young man. It says that the word of God abides in you. They overcome the evil one, and they're strong. I like those three things. If you think about the first one, oh, that they, the word of God abides in them. You think about that person, that they abide, they live in the word, they start to be grounded in the truth. They got, start to be able to give an explanation for why they believe what they believe. It's an awesome thing to see somebody abiding in the truth. Their worldview is becoming more and more biblical. All of a sudden, their conscience has some education. It's like, oh, I didn't know that was wrong. Or, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be that way. The Holy Spirit has something to work with. You see the outcome of that, of somebody that's abiding in the Word, is then they're, they're starting to see some, some victory there, overcoming the evil one. All of a sudden, the sins that seem like they would never let go are loosening a grip. Because you're like, I'm grounded now. Starting to see some victory. I'm starting to see some, some release of some patterns that used to be in my life. You're, you're, you're seeing that. And what's the other word it describes? You're like, I'm starting to get strong. I'm getting stronger. Like it's, it's, it's a cool place for the young man to be. Then I find it interesting as it progresses. So you've got the, you've got the children, the young men, and the last one. It points to two different times in verse 13 and 14. find it interesting that it says the exact same thing about it. Not a lot of characteristics that it goes into. It says that they know who is from the beginning. They know who is from the beginning. 
if you think about it from this perspective, it's come full circle. It started when you first came to Christ. You're like, I just know Christ and it's awesome. And the fun thing is, when you get rooted and grounded in the word and victory over sin, it goes back to that. It goes back to that just pure pleasure in knowing Christ. One of the things that I... I loved about Nancy, who we were talking about that passed away last night, is like you're you're around her and you're like, man, she's not working on trying to be less sinful. She's not trying to do stuff. She's not trying, like, she just is. Like, she was just like, just Christ radiated through her. All of a sudden, she, if there's ever somebody you'd describe as like, no, she knows the Lord. She knows it. And when you are at that place, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm grounded. I have a biblical framework for anything you want to talk about. Oh yeah, I I fight the fight. I've fought sin over the years and I've I've seen victory. I still slip here and there, but now it's just back to, man, I just love knowing him. I've known him who is from the beginning. Before you didn't even know he was from the beginning. Now, now Now you're rooted and grounded in that and it's a beautiful picture. This is the progression that is expected of someone that's in Christ. Somebody that's a truly a believer. I find it convicting in 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, it says. It's good for us because I understand there's so much about the assurance of salvation. There's so much about the Holy Spirit sealing us to the time of, of his return. There's so much about his never being separated from his love. But those are all descriptors of somebody that's truly been saved. Those are all descriptions of somebody that's truly been saved. And this text is pointing to markers of somebody that's truly been saved. There's, there's, a, there's an obedience factor in it. There's a love factor. There's a belief factor in it. There's a transformation from young to old that's happening. All those things is, are marks of someone that's in Christ. So I leave you with the question that we started with. Who do you look like? Who do you look like? Is this something that you're like, you know, I'm, I think I am starting to look like him. I think there's some change in there. I think, I think there's been some transformation. I'm excited about this. It's cool that God doesn't leave us guessing as to whether or not we're in Christ. He points to some very specific things. If somebody were to ask me, say, and they said to me, Scott, are you alive? You're like, I don't need to point to my birthday to prove that I'm alive. You can, I can just shine my pearly whites, and you're like, yeah, he's, he, he's alive. Like there's, there's evidence to that. And I would propose what this text is saying is that if somebody says, are you, are you in Christ? You're like, absolutely. Take a, a, my, my life is evidence that I am in Christ because I look a whole lot different than I used to. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word and how direct and blunt and gets straight to the point that somebody that says that they're in you but isn't following you, isn't abiding in you, is living a lie. You don't mince words. You get direct to the heart of it, saying that there's a transformation, that there's evidences that God is living in you and evidences are that there's transformation, that there's, there's change you got to expect that when the God of the universe sets up camp inside of a human. 
When God sets up camp inside of you, there's transformation, there's change. You start taking on Christ's characteristics. I pray that this would be a healthy check in our lives. There's a reason you wrote it. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the assurance of salvation for those who are truly in Christ. Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. I love the line there of you're you're changing everything. I look real different now. That's my prayer for us collectively, individually. We start to take on his characteristics. Let's enjoy that process this week. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.